When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game, a game that was never more beautiful than when it was played by Jimmy Greaves. Genius is an overused word in this world, but not when it comes to him. May he rest in peace. Although I have to say, Kieran, that we are recording this on a Sunday evening and early period Jimmy Greaves would share my amusement that you've returned from a football match stone cold sober. What's that like? Uh, well, it, I, I don't know any different, of course, so uh, I'm, I'm not really in a position to compare. <laughs> Good game. You're third. I, 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 yeah, I'm gracious enough to admit that you are currently third in the table. Kieran, a table I won't be looking at again for some days because of that reason. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a funny match. We got a VAR-assisted penalty, and then Leicester had two VAR-disallowed goals. So uh, yeah, we, we are loving VAR today, and uh, Leicester fans, uh, with with some justification, I suspect, uh, are feeling fairly aggrieved because certainly for thirty minutes they were they were the better team. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily first first yeah, first sixty. It was uh, we probably at the edge. Yeah, and you you missed the amazing sight of. Uh... West Ham bringing on a club legend <laughs> yes. just to take a penalty, which was badly. just <laughs> badly. It was just like, whoa, I, was, I, I didn't really know what to do. I, I felt terrible for laughing because Mark Noble's a really nice young fella. Um, it's questions day, Kieran, but I'm not sure how many we will get through because we do have one massive news story to discuss. And that, of course, is Derby County. Later on, we will hear from Jim Wheeler, who's chair of the Rams Trust for a fan's perspective. But... Kieran, there's a few things I need I need you to explain to me about this whole business. Because we've talked at length about Derby, and God help us, Keen, we've even joked about how much we talk about them. But for all mm. that, this still seemed like it came out of the blue. This announcement on Friday night that Derby were to go into administration seems a surprise. Um it is. I think. I think there's there's two surprises that we need to unpack. First of all, the fact that Mel Morris has chosen to put Derby yeah. County into administration because he didn't have to. He is wealthy enough to have carried on uh, underwriting the losses, and you know you, you give him credit for that, as you do to all of the the owners of clubs. Roman Abramovich has done it. At, at Chelsea, you know, Shibi Mansour does it at uh, uh, Manchester City. But there's also many, many owners in the championship and below who, who have done a similar thing. So um, 
did did he have to do it? In my view, no. He's been running the club uh, with, in my view, I, I would describe it as financial mismanagement in the sense that uh, he went, he, re- he inherited a club which was making small losses and turned it into a club which was making huge losses and sold the club's main asset in the form of the stadium in the process. Um, so it was it was a vanity exercise. Whether he's got bored, whether he'd heard that there were protests planned on the Saturday and therefore this was his way of getting back, we, we, we don't know. There's lots of conspiracy theories. He said that a deal had failed um, and therefore he had no choice. Um, but that that doesn't make sense, and, and the fact that he he is so much contempt for the the people that work at Derby County, including the manager who found out the club was in administration via uh, via Sky Sports. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think this is this is indicative of of the the individual involved. But there, there's a second story. Why was it announced on Friday night? Um, let me take you through a timeline. Um. Somebody that works in in the world of insolvency put up something on LinkedIn and, and made a tweet. Now this guy's got you know a, a few dozen followers on Twitter. Um, that was brought to my attention by a Derby County fan and who said, "Is this legit?" What sorry? Said, what, did he put up, what did he put up, Kieran? Sorry, he said that uh, Derby Derby County Football Club Limited have given notice of going into administration. He tweeted so, it. He tweeted this. Holy mother! Right. Okay. Um, now, you know, Twitter is not one hundred percent accurate. Mm. So uh, it, it, was, it was brought to my attention by a Derby fan. I said, "Well, I, I don't want to put this out because you know it, it, it could be it could be a nonsense. We don't want to alarm fans." Um, I I contacted some of my friends at, at Radio Derby. For yeah. whom I have a close relationship, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> I can imagine, yes. Uh, you know, my, my wife, you know, the Baroness now thinks I've got an East Midlands accent because I'm on there so often. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. That, you know, and you know, I, I'm looking forward to the day when, when I never have to go on that radio station again. Yeah, at least, um, at least at least you've lost the Russian accent, Kieran. So that's <laughs> that's true. That's something true. for the Baroness to be thankful for. Yeah. So um, I, I contacted some of my friends at Radio Derby and said. I think there could be an issue here, but there is insufficient evidence uh, uh, to, to go any further. They said, you know, okay, yeah, thanks very much for this. We're the professional journalists. We, we Let us do a bit of digging. Yeah, yeah. So they got back to me, and a few minutes later, they'd been, uh, they had been then had, had access to the formal information which had been posted, um, you know, you, you have to go through due process. And, and yeah, there are many government websites, and here it was. You know, it was in black and white of the notice of intention. So that was put out uh, by uh, Radio Derby. They they contacted the club. The club initially didn't get back to them. Clearly, the, the fan base were very concerned. Um, and then at 8 o'clock, Derby County put out a very long press release in which they said they were uh, intending to go into administration. Um, and the the press release, uh, it, 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 it contained more fiction than The Hobbit, in my view, uh, in terms of uh, it was nothing to do with Mel Morris. It was an inevitability. It was down to the EFL. It was down to other clubs. 
in the championship. It was down to this, that, and, and the other. Um, and uh, that's that that's that that's the club's viewpoint. Okay, it's, it's uh, the club's been run fantastically. It's nothing to do with Mel. It's it's somebody else's fault. So that's how it came to pass that mm. the story went out on Friday night. Um, it was one person who identified a uh, a document which had been posted at at some government agency. And the thing is, we we live in a world of social media and news gets out yeah of course like the dragon in the hobbit mill morris does sleep on a big pile of money but um <laughs> so, so, I, I, can you clarify this for me kieran because so what you're saying is that they wanted to to sneak it out as with as low a profile as is possible to be with that announcement they were but they were rumbled beforehand because of this administrative you know somebody saying derby county need uh, an administrator can you help but this is what i've I can't quite get a handle on it. In, in the past, clubs have always announced that they have gone into administration. Famously, Palace players were told by the pilot as they got off the plane in Newcastle. But what Derby seems to have done is to announce their intention to go into into administration. Is that how it works? Is that how the, the, the small print of these things work? Or is it unusual for a club to have to admit that they plan to go into administration? Uh, in, into administration, because I wondered whether that was a, a, a sort of last-minute bid to lure any potential buyers out into the open. Well, yeah, yeah, in theory, it could flush somebody out um, over the course of the next twenty-four hours, and a, and a deal goes through. Um, normally, a, a company announces it is going when it, it is going into administration. So, right, um, and, and then the formal process takes place. So it looks as if uh, the the person who um, we've been advised is is going to be the administrator is somebody that has experience of doing football administrations before, which can help. Um, you know, football is a unique industry, uh, it, but at the same time, their uh, legal obligations is are to the creditors. Um, and to mm. the people that appointed them rather than the fans. Um, so, you know, that has to be taken into consideration as well. Um, so so that's that's where we are at present. Uh, we're not in a situation where we can reveal who that um, administrator might be, are we? Um, I don't think so. Oh, um, okay. I'd, I'd rather not at this stage. I mean, it, it, it will come out. Um, yes, I'll, 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 I'll send you a WhatsApp picture, and if it is, if it is right, well... We, 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 our, our, our snouts are good snouts. <laughs> was the the failed investor that Mill Morris has been referring to? Was that Eric Alonso? Has there been one since that? No, Eric Eric Alonso is is completely out of the loop. Right. Uh, is my understanding. Um, it, it it's very strange because Mill Morris has said that there's lots of people invested in Derby no. County. Well, if that was the case, then surely they would want to buy a club from him, yeah. um, and he would want to sell the club because he's going to. Because remember, yeah, as, as we've seen with Wigan Athletic, administration is not cheap. Yeah, um, you, you know, the the fees charged by the administrator, and then you need to have valuers, and you have to have lawyers, and uh, so on and so forth, um, can be very high. And, and you know, once the administrators are appointed. The first thing that they do is they look to cut costs. Now, that's management speak for people are going to lose their jobs. Yeah. People who yeah. are working in the back office, people who are on moderate wages, 
the chances are who also love Derby County. These are the biggest losers. Uh, you know, players. Whatever happens to the players, they will they will move on. The vast majority of them um, to to new clubs, or they will stay with Derby County when the new owners come in. Um, but you know, if if jobs are lost, those jobs are not necessarily one hundred percent replaced when a new owner comes in, and that's my concern. Also, that people will have supplied to the football club who are local producers. And you know from your experiences at Palace, and I know Mark from my experiences at Brighton, when our clubs were in financial trouble, what tended to happen with these suppliers is that they gave the football club credit, yeah. which they wouldn't give to any other customer, because yeah. the chances are that they were Palace fans or Brighton fans, or in this case, Derby fans. And again, these are the people who are going to suffer financially the most. Is, is it going to be bad news for Mel Morris financially? Probably yes, but you know if he has to live on four hundred million instead of five hundred million quid, well, you know he's he's still going to sleep at night. We'll come back to Mel Morris in a minute, but will players be paid? Do they count as football creditors? Right. Yes, uh, football creditors are clubs who are owed uh, money for outstanding transfer fees, um, and uh, I, th- I think we said that Derby. Uh, were on a charge. It was part of the the sanctions they were given by the EFL, although that appears to have been addressed relatively recently. Uh, Mm. Players for outstanding wages. Um, And I believe it could be agents as well, Um, although uh, I'd I'd have to get uh, concrete proof of that. So so those are the the main, uh, what we would call uh, preferential creditors, along with uh, HMRC, um, who, whose, uh, whose creditor status was changed relatively recently by government. Changed in what way, Kieran? In the sense that previously they would have been treated as the pie seller, the coach owners you know, who, who drive, drive the players to away matches and so on. They were what were referred to as unsecured creditors and they were at the bottom of the pile. Um, they've now shifted up a step um, and they have to be paid off in full before the uh, unsecured creditors can get a penny. And now something else that baffled me about the announcement, Kieran, and, and I know you'll be thinking a lot baffles me about football finance and perhaps I'm not the ideal person to host this pod, but again, what struck me about the announcement was it, it, it stressed, it mentioned several times that it was the football club and all its associated businesses and companies that were to apply for administration. Was that significant? Is that normal? And does that refer to the stadium? And where does where does the stadium stand in all this? Is the stadium in administration, if that's even a thing? Um, the stadium is owned by a company called Gellar Law 202, which in itself is then owned by a company called Gellar Law 204. Um, really? Yeah, oh, yes. And Derby County Football Club is owned by a company called Sevco 5112, which sold Pride Park to Geller Law 202. Now, has Geller Law going to be put into administration? The noises I've heard is that it is not because it is not part of the Derby County group. The Derby County group consists of around about six or seven companies, which all of which were set up 
um, under the Mel Morris regime and do various bits and pieces. And it's 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 like trying to put together uh, a jigsaw where you've not got the picture. You know, it, it's it's right. really a, a pain in the backside to have to deal with. But you know, the, the, you know conf- confusing and ob- obfuscation is. Uh, is, is the name of the game, unfortunately, and what we're dealing with here. So it looks as if uh, Gellar Law aren't part of the Derby County group. Are they necessarily going to be put into administration? That could be due to whether or not the uh, the people who have a mortgage over Pride Park, which is MSD Holdings, what's their next step going to be? And we don't know what their intentions are. Um, Derby County rent Pride Park from Gellar Law. Now, they actually pay a low rent. And the reason for this is that Mel Morris said that Derby only need to use uh, Pride Park for 30 days a year. So he had a plan, a cunning plan, I would say, (laughs) to... um, to put a retractable roof over Derby County's ground, and that would allow them to host concerts in between home matches. So, you know, when Taylor Swift's considering her next global tour, you know, she's got Sydney, New York, Montreal, Paris, and now the East Midlands. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, that, so because he was going to rent it out to concert providers for the other 330 days of the year derby's rent looks very very low which which is actually quite good for derby county in terms of financial fair play oh you cynic i think the um the, the groundsman would have put a stop to that taylor swift's not getting anywhere near my pitch but but listen if if the stadium is not in administration if gellar law is not in administration where does that leave the administrator because surely they could just argue that any match day income belongs to the stadium and not the club no because the it is derby county football club that sells the tickets so you know, so we, right. we've got legal separation right. and there's lots and lots of separation here my big concern from the perspective of the administrators uh, assuming that they are appointed in the next few days is the first thing that the administrators need to do is to work out how they are going to fund the administration. Now, if we contrast Derby County to Wigan Athletic, when the administrators of Wigan came in, and you know, we've, we've been a little bit you know, facetious with our comments about them, but mm. they had a training ground to sell, yeah. they had a stadium which they could sell, yeah. Yeah. and they were appointed in the summer, so they had lots of players that they could sell. So therefore, they had revenues from which allowed them to pay the running costs of the administration because the big issue is Derby County have wages to be paid at the end of September. Where are the administrators going to get that money from? Because Derby County have already sold their season tickets, so that money's gone. Right. The money from the EFL in terms of this season's TV money that's been paid, I suspect. So right. that that's not there. The sponsors for this season, they will have paid up front in all probability. So what does that leave? It leaves match day sales. Now, you know, Derby County's got a really good, loyal season ticket. I think they sell around about 16,000 season tickets. Yeah. 
So the only money that's going to be coming in from the for, for the administrators is going to be away fans and match day tickets. Is oh. that enough to pay for the wages for the council tax, for HM, you know, for PAYE, for the electricity bill because they're going to be putting on the floodlights soon. Yeah, you know, we we're, we're moving into October and so on. So that's my worry. And if the if the administrators don't have that money, We've got a much bigger problem. And does administration mean that the EFL transfer embargo will be lifted? Because, or, or does it mean that the administrators can't even sell players? Well, they can't sell players because, well, the only thing that they can do is reach an agreement in advance to sell players in the January window. Ah, uh, okay. So I, I think, you know, so it, and you know, hopefully, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know the intricacies of this. But you would hope that the EFL would try to assist the administrators in this particular task. Now, here we've got a double-edged sword. You know, if they don't have that many. You know, most of the players that they've signed this summer are players who, shall we say, are not in the first flush yeah. of their careers. Yeah. And also, they tend to be on one-year contracts. So you're not going to get anything for them. Um, you know, and they might have some young players coming through. Um, so, so that's that's where we stand. But of course, you know, if if you sell off your best players, that's not going to help Wayne Rooney. Um, although, from you know the, the the social media output I've seen from Derby County fans, they 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 are subject to a twelve point penalty for as soon as they go into formally into administration, mm-hmm. and on the back of that, they are anticipating relegation. And there could be a further nine-point penalty in respect of the historic financial issues which they've been negotiating with the EFL. Yes, a couple of things. We we spoke to Jim Wheeler just before we started recording, and, and I mentioned to him that we did contact the EFL for a response, and they did contact us back virtually straight away to say they didn't think it was appropriate to discuss uh, details of an ongoing case, which I... I understand, but we also spent most of our time with Jim talking about Mel Morris. Um, but we need to mention him here, Kieran, because Mel Morris is blaming COVID. He's blaming the EFL. He's blaming failed investments. He's blaming everybody, basically. Is that valid? Because, I, I, you know, several angry fans pointed out that there was no COVID when their wage bill tripled between 2014 and 2017. And you did, you did predict, Kieran, in your brilliant mystic meg way a few weeks ago that if anything did go tits up i believe was the accountancy phrase that you used that mel morris would be looking to uh covid and the efl to put the blame on um yeah he he has blamed efl now look there isn't a derby variant as far as i'm aware <laughs> of of covid um so why should it impact upon uh, Derby County more than other clubs. Now he's done an hour. He, he's he's now doing a charm offensive, so he's done an hour long interview with Radio Derby, of of which I, I did manage to hear uh, a fair chunk of. And he says, "Well, you know, you can disregard uh, all of the clubs who are in receipt of parachute payments. Well, th- th- they are equally uh, short of money as Mel Morris. Uh, Mel Morris is Derby County. He says you can disregard the clubs that have come up from." Um, League One. Well, wh- why should you? Yeah, th- th- they also have had no uh, n- no money coming in through match day. Um, I-, I-, I think he's been a little bit uh, uh, 
behind with some of the numbers he's been quoting uh, as well. So, I, I, and also um, another document has been passed to me, and it is a a winding up petition from HMRC in respect of Derby County. Oh, and this is dated January twenty twenty. Oh. Right. Now, when I last checked, we didn't go into lockdown until March 2020. Mm. So, yeah, he his his explanations. Um, yeah, as soon as you start to dig deep, uh, you know, deep deep below the surface, tend to fall apart. With regards to the EFL, the EFL are not responsible for Derby County's wage bill trebling. The EFL are not responsible for Derby County spending £66 million on players in the first three years of Mel Morris's ownership. We don't know how much they've spent since because Mel Morris has chosen, and it's this is this is his choice, to not publish the accounts. And two of those, you know, and he has chosen to break company law. He's saying, well, he can't publish accounts because he needs to come to some form of agreement with the EFL. That is nonsense. The EFL is not the governing body of the United Kingdom. It is company law which dictates. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's all types of, you know, it's nothing to do with me, Gov. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's sitting there like, like a puppy. In a in a locked room next to a, a large a large dose of plop plops and saying, "Oh, yeah, it's nothing to do with me, Gov." Well, it's it's utter utter nonsense. <laughs> I love the fact that you're you're a man who loves uh, the creative use of bad language, and you come up with plop plops, Kieran. That's very good. Um, the, on the HMRC uh, level. I understand the tax liability is about twenty six million pound. He can afford to pay that, can't he? Um, he, he can. The reason why there is £26 million owing to HMRC is that it was Mel Morris who set the wage budget. So he, he was the person that said, I want to sign these players. Um, you know, we're, we're going to go from a club which spends around about 80% of our revenue on wages to a club which spends 150%. Now, he says, it's because I wanted to get the club promoted. That's great. That's fantastic. You know, I, I don't actually have an issue with that. What I do have an issue with that is, well, when his gamble, and this is what it was, when his gamble of spending money didn't work, he's now said, oh, well, you know, sod that, I'm off. Yeah. Um, and and to me, I, I think that's that's the lowest of the low. Uh, you know, he, he, he he's I've, I've, I'm no lover of Steve Dale. I'm not, and don't get me started on the Oystons. But this is this it just seems to be uh, sulking. You know, I I, I didn't I, I wasn't successful. Um, you know, we, we we believe that he has his his own businesses have been successful. Uh, I, I've been in contact with people in the last 48 hours who are in the process of selling businesses to him. So, you know, it's, he's, he's not a fool. He's a very capable businessman, but with regards to Derby County, he's doing what's best for him. He is not acting in the best long-term interests of the club, in my opinion. Just briefly, Kieran, if you can, uh, which is my way of saying, can you do it briefly, Kieran? Because <laughs> uh, we do have an interview to get to, and, and I want to ask a couple of questions because we've yeah, got yeah. Some good ones. Um, What's what's a realistic asking price for the club, and what will a potential buyer be getting 
for their money. I mean, uh, you know, for me, Derby County, one of the great names of, of English football. Yeah, Brian Clough is an idol of mine and, and, you know, we all have our own stories of going to the baseball ground with a terrible pitch and so on. But they're they're a big club. They're they're up there with the traditional names of English football. How attractive are they to a potential buyer? Is it going to be easy for the administrators to lure somebody in? Well, the, the trouble is with getting a price is is we don't exactly know what you're selling. You know, if um, because they've had this policy of dividing. Uh, the group up into lots and lots of smaller companies, trying to work out the value of individual companies, I think will be challenging, especially if they don't own the stadium. Um, but the the administrators you know, or the new owners or somebody is going to have to pay HMRC £26 million, all of the outstanding creditors uh, in respect of transfers. I don't think those will be huge. Um, and clearly the, you know, the, the other football creditors and then if they want to avoid a further 15 point penalty they have to pay the remaining creditors at least 25% of the money owed to them within the next 2 years so you you could sell the club for a pound but that's not then you've got the administrators needing to be paid on top of all that so it I don't really think it's a case of how much the administrators are going to get it's going to be how much are the new owners going to be prepared to pay to cover all of the debts of Derby County um, is going to be the the defining figure. And just remind us how much the administrators get out of this process. Well, in respect of uh, in respect of Wigan Athletic, um, it was over two million pounds, and on top of that, there were significant uh, legal fees and other professional service fees to be added on top. Well, well, on the pitch, they had a really good result uh, on Saturday against Stoke City. So let's talk to somebody who was there and somebody who's been in the thick of what's been going on at the club, and that's Derby County fan Jim Wheeler, who is chair of the Rams Trust. Jim, thank you for joining us. Uh, You're the latest in a long line of people I'd much rather not be talking to, if I'm honest, how was the atmosphere yesterday? Um, really good, to be honest. Um, I was quite concerned about how it would be going into the game because obviously, I mean, we're still not sure that the talk of protests before the game or more after the game, um, but they were talking about them before, was actually going to um, make a difference. Mm. Um, and we're, we're still not entirely sure that that wasn't one of the reasons that Mel has po- pulled the plug at the point he did to try to avoid getting personal criticism mm. um, but the atmosphere inside the ground was fantastic it's one of the best atmospheres that we've had this season the team performed which obviously helped um, and it, it there was a genuine feeling that everybody there the, the um, supporters the players and the staff were all together mm. um, sort of we all know what's coming or at least we've got an idea what's coming, um, but we're all together and we're still Derby County and we will still support the team, whatever. Well, if, if it's any consolation, Jim, oddly enough, two of my happiest times as a Palace fan were when we were in administration because you just had that sense of unanimity and defiance and us against the world. And I, I sense that's what you'll be feeling in the next weeks, months to come. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, it's still 
going to depend what happens on the pitch because the atmosphere within a football ground and the atmosphere supporters I mean and, and yesterday was a classic example the club is stuffed we're, we're almost certainly going to go down we're going to get a massive points deduction and yet you come out of the ground yesterday Derby have won everybody's going to have a good evening and everybody was happy yeah. <laughs> and that will continue if if Wayne Rooney continues to get the players to perform and to um, just play for the shirt and play for those supporters there, then they're not going to get any criticism and they will be backed to the hilt by all fans. We talked earlier, Jim, Kieran and I, about the fact that Friday's announcement still came out of the blue a little bit, even though we've been talking about Derby for a year. Was it as much as a, a, of a shock for you as it was for the rest of football? Uh, yes, to be honest, it was because I actually met with Mel um, just over a month ago in a, a supporters group meeting, and at that time he was very bullish. He right. was still fighting the EFL. He was he was um, talking about potential investors and saying there were some there were a number of good prospects that they were talking to. They just needed to resolve the EFL issue, and then it would all be sweetness and light we'll get a new investor and we'll we'll be great going forward and in the and in the meantime he's not skint mel morris can afford to continue to um keep the club going mm. and i'm really surprised that he's just thrown the towel in to be honest we'll talk about mel in a bit more detail in a moment but in a strange sort of way do you think right well it's happened perhaps now we can get a bit of focus and at least begin the process of restoring the club Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because even in that meeting, when one of the things that we discussed was there is a possibility of a points deduction, although Mel still felt that we didn't deserve one. Um, but there was a discussion in the meeting. Well, why don't we just cut our losses, take a, a, a deduction, and then at least we're, we've got the slate clean and we can move forward as a club. We all know what we need to do. Um, and we're in exactly the same situation now. Um, we are going to get a points deduction. Yes, we, there's obviously financial matters to be concluded, but at least there's not that lingering uncertainty hanging over us that we we don't know what's going to happen further down the line. And it, it's like, I don't know, a stranger lurking in the shadows and you, you're worried what's going to happen next. It's happened. <laughs> we don't have that worry anymore. Kieran, I'll bring you in here because how many times have we talked on the pod about the fact that the EFL have to find a way, other than points deduction, a way to punish the club owners who do this, not the fans, because eventually, essentially, a points deduction is punishing the fans. It is. I think trying to find something which is appropriate is is a challenge. Perhaps owners ought to put down some form of bond when they take ownership of a club and they can lose that uh, as a result of misdemeanours. Uh, the, the EFL would argue, and, and I can understand this to an extent, that if points are earned through having financial advantages through having uh, on the back of some form of financial misdemeanors, then what they are trying to do is to equalize that through having a points deduction. But it's a very clunky way of dealing with the issue. Hmm. I I should say, by the way, Jim, as well, we did contact the EFL and ask to speak to them uh, about Derby County. They did contact us back and, and perhaps understandably said they didn't think it was appropriate uh, for them to talk to us about personal issues around a, a club and the conflict they're in. Um, so we didn't get far with that, but we did ask them, and to their credit, they did respond. But let's talk about Mel Morris, Jim. One journalist said his commitment was never in doubt, 
just his methods. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's entirely fair. Um, I mean, he he is a long-time Derby County fan. All of his life he's been a Derby fan. Um, and he kind of reached the level that most Derby fans would love to be in. He'd got enough money that he thought, right, I can take over the club and I can make I can pump money in and I can get them to the Premier League. Um and it's this kind of aspiration that people dream of to be able to do that. What he didn't have is a proper business plan in order to do it. Um he he always said and he he actually to be fair to him has said this for more than 5 years that because of the imbalance within football the only way to make derby county competitive in the championship and try to achieve those ambitions was to work at the absolute edge of financial fair play as it was then and now profit and sustainability and therefore they budgeted to be I don't know, a hundred quid under the financial fair play limits mm. and that he would continue to put that money in the entire time. And, and as a fan and as a, a supporter representative in those meetings, it, that's very difficult to argue against. In fact, we've spent more of our time arguing and um, trying to lobby the football authorities and the government to level that up. So that doesn't have to be the situation and we still will. Um, and I'm really hopeful that Tracy Crouch's survey will come out with that. Mm. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, that's fine while he continues to put the money in. And that's what's most galling about the situation we're in now is that he's just decided to stop. It's not that he's run out of money like Lionel Pickering did. Lionel Pickering literally ran out of money. He could not put any more money into the club. Mel Morris isn't doing that, and I'm sure his defence would be, well, of course I'm not, and I would be stupid if I was going to continue to put money in to get to that point. Um, but by all accounts, he's done quite well over the last two years. Um, he's not in a worse position financially. Um, he's just decided, no, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to put any more money into Derby. While at the same time, even today, saying there's multiple potential investors who are interested. Yeah, so why, why wouldn't you just keep it going in the meantime? That, that's that, that's really interesting, the fact that he's still talking about multiple potential investors, even though one of the excuses he's given for this happening is the lack of any potential investors at all or, or um, their inability to come forward with proper money. What do you make of his determination to blame COVID, to blame the EFL, to blame the lack of investors for this rather than himself? Um, well, the lack of investors is a new one because, like I say, every time I've spoken to him, both in meetings and as he has released himself, he has said there are lots of interested parties. It, uh, admittedly, a number of them are just what he would call tyre kickers and not yeah. realistic pro- possibilities. But he has always said, and whether this was just to appease fans, he has always said, yes, there are genuine interested parties who, who do have the money behind them. Um, the EFL one... Um, I do have some sympathy based on what he said, um, especially in regards to inconsistency and the way Derby have been treated in comparison to other clubs, Mm. because he has certainly cited examples where things that Derby have done, we have been punished for. And when other clubs did them or even asked what was allowable, they were told, yes, you can do this. And then when Derby did it, they said, oh, no, you can't. But no, we're going to we're going to penalize you for that. That I, I do have some sympathy with that. And again, this is why we're calling for an independent regulator into the game and not somebody that is directly influenced by other clubs who may have something against 
other clubs in their division, if you see what well, I mean. I, I do. And this is the problem when the EFL, however politely, won't come on and talk to us or, or, or anybody else because you you want to get their side of the argument. You want to get why they've applied regulations in the way they have because otherwise Derby fans will quite rightly point at inconsistencies and other fans, I've been interested as well, there's a, a certain lack of sympathy from other fans in the Championship towards Derby's plight, which has surprised me and saddened me a little bit. Have you found that? Um, to some extent, although actually in the last couple of days, I, we have had supportive messages from some of the trusts and some of the supporters yeah. saying we, we really feel for Derby fans at this time, which it, which is encouraging. Um, yeah, I... I I'm not sure whether the EFL could. I mean, because we've done the same thing. We approached the EFL, or a member of Ramstrust did, um, and they'd said the same thing to us that it wasn't appropriate to yeah. comment on a, an ongoing case. I would like to think once it is concluded, they will put some justification together. But then they did after the last two times that they've taken us to um, arbitration. Um, yeah. And both times we've sort of come out thinking, well, by the sounds of it, Mel more or less won that. We we the valuation of the stadium, the sale of the stadium was all passed as being okay. I, I still don't think it's the right thing to do, and I'm I'm still very concerned, and I want to come on to that over who owns the stadium now. Yeah. Um, and I was very concerned at the time, um, but actually the EFL were proved that the, there was nothing against the rules in doing that. Um, and then the amortisation, which according to Mel, um, was all signed off and approved by the EFL. And then retrospectively, they're now going back and wanting to penalise us for something that was five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yeah, Kieran, we've had this discussion before, but to non-experts, which is exactly what my job is on this pod, it does seem that everything stems. The root of all evil was the sale of that stadium. Is that fair? I don't think it was evil uh, in the sense that the EFL did change their rules in 2016, which allowed clubs to sell stadia. And remember, it wasn't just Derby County that did it. Reading have done it, Birmingham... Um, you know, uh, Aston Villa have done it, uh, and, and they've all taken those profits. Uh, but uh, the, the amortization issue is uh, is an emotive one for me, as you know. Um, but uh, yeah, that and, and having I've, I've heard I've heard Mel's interview on Radio Derby this afternoon, and uh, you know, I, I'd agree with Jim that some of his explanations don't quite uh, stack up uh, in terms of consistency. Uh, he, he's, he's trying to paint himself as being very reasonable, but uh, it's it's a, it's a tragic case of uh, it, it's can't pay rather than won't pay. So to say that there was no choice but for Derby County to go into administration is nonsense. Yeah, that's- yeah I mean, interestingly, Kieran, on that amortisation, I, I actually thought the way that Mel put it today in that interview 
will have impressed a number of people. Do you have a view on that? Yeah, uh, amortization isn't supposed to be a representation of value. Ah, right. Okay, so, fair enough. <laughs> so, so it, yeah, uh, it, it, and and the problem is, he's saying, well, yeah, we're going to use transfer market to uh, to value our players. Now, transfer transfer market from transfer markets as is as reliable as Wikipedia. Hmm. And would you use something as reliable as Wikipedia to, to uh, you know, all I, can, all I can say is that in my job, if a student writes, oh, where, where do you get it from? I got it from Wikipedia. I say, go back and find a proper source. Hmm. So um, the, the policy the club has used is one which allows it to effectively mark its own homework uh, in, in the way that it values players. Uh, do, do I think that straight line is, is good? That, that's for another discussion. No, no, it, it, it's imperfect, but it is consistent. True. Yeah. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, I'm a small hill in Devon. You mentioned Lionel Pickering. We had Mark Goldberg, who who just literally ran out of money, was a fan who bought the club, got overexcited, ran out of money, got outmaneuvered by various other clever people. And there wasn't one Palace fan who resented him for it or hated him for it. They understood what had gone on. Is there still a level of sympathy for Mel Morris amongst a section of Derby fans? Um, there is a level of sympathy, but it's quite low. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, particularly at the moment, particularly at the moment when it's really raw. I think maybe in five years' time when people look at it and say Mel put 200 million of his own money in and gambled to try to do his best for Derby County, there might be some sympathy. But just at the minute, no, it's very limited. In in terms of new owners, then Jim, is the, is the trust in any way able to put a bid together? And if not, what part can you play in a potential takeover? Um, given the size of the debts that have been um, put out, which are somewhere between forty and sixty million, and possibly higher, clearly there is no way that any supporters' organisation would be able to take over in those in that situation mm. um and to be honest even if we even if it was much lower i would not encourage anybody um to put money into a football club at the moment yeah it's just a license to throw away money unless you have that overall ownership um having said that there are the rules in place where we have 28 days for um the supporters trust to put together a bid and that would then be an opportunity for us to talk to potential investors either for them to approach us or there are people who have been involved in the club in the past that we would contact and maybe not them individually but they may know people who are interested because they move in those circles um and it it would be a, a it would be remiss of us as a trust to not take that opportunity to try to find the right people to take Derby County forward rather than leaving it to a receiver whose only interest is in getting the money back for the creditors and not necessarily the fu- the best future for the club. I suppose one element of the administration is that of the clean slates because any potential new buyer, and that would include yourself, wouldn't be responsible for Mel's debts, would they? Um, it depends because um, there are outstanding debts to HMRC, which we understand are about £26 million, right. um, and football debts, which also have to be met in full. And then if you don't meet a percentage of the remaining creditors, you get further points deductions as yeah. well. Yeah. So 
actually, the debt has hardly been reduced by the going into receivership, which is the other really galling thing about this. Uh, if Mel's saying, oh, yeah, but putting it into receivership will help us to sell it, um, no, it won't. What you've got is a less valuable asset because of the points deduction and still the vast majority of the debts. Mm. The trust has got its AGM on the 23rd of September. That's going to be lively, isn't it? Um, well, yes, I, I'm sure there will be lots of questions. Um, I mean, it'll make a change from the last 10 years, because to be fair, the last 10 years, we've been struggling to get people to attend um, this one. As, and now that we do have the facility to do them online rather than in person, it's a lot easier for people to attend as well. Last year's was actually quite good. Uh, we had Malcolm Clark from the F, uh, FA Council um, attend, um, and he, he spoke really well. It was It was a really good meeting, but there weren't very many of us there. I think there will be more this time. It's interesting. I was looking at your your website today, and you've been raising concerns with directors of the club for some time now. And you sent an open letter to directors six weeks ago seeking various assurances and got no reply. And I, I noticed in that letter your biggest fear seemed to be that administration, if it did come, would be would come because of those unpaid liabilities to HMRC. So it's it's even more galling that it's happened for a completely different reason. Um, well, is it a completely different reason? <laughs> it's, well, it's the it's, fact it's, that Mel isn't going to meet those debts. Yeah. One, uh, of, many, uh, one of other different – well, let's, let's put it this way. Most people – didn't think it would be the debt to HMRC. It didn't. We we thought that if if this came, it would. You know, that that's twenty six million quid. He can afford to pay that. Is what everyone's been thinking. Essentially, he's been paying. He's been doing what a lot of owners do and play brinkmanship and silly games, and then he'll pay. He'll pay when he has to pay because he he can afford to. But it's interesting that you have raised concerns in the past about administration, and they've been either brushed off or ignored. Uh, yeah, um, and it, it actually goes back more than six weeks because we were asking these questions um, last season um, and um, during the summer was the first time I actually managed to get representatives of all supporters groups to agree to a combined letter um, and asking exactly these questions to say, we haven't met, we've had no communication from the club, please tell us what's happening regarding the outstanding EFL charges, regarding potential takeovers, etc., etc. Um, and it was the fact that they didn't answer that then raised more alarm bells and why we've had to keep upping the pressure since then in terms of further letters and, and meetings, etc. Um, because it seems a fairly basic question, especially at a time when you're trying to sell season tickets, is are we going to be able to complete the season? And they wouldn't answer. That clearly was going to ring alarm bells. It, it seems to me, Jim, to finish, that Derby County, with all that tradition, with all that history, with Brian Clough's, Brian Clough's Derby County, for God's sake, they must be an attractive proposition to a buyer. They're a Premier League club in waiting, and even if not, they're a championship club that should be getting 19, 20, 21,000 people a week. It's got to be an attractive proposition to someone who can see beyond what's happened in the past couple of years, surely? Uh, yeah, you would absolutely think so. Um, my concern at the moment is I don't know what that administrator's report's going to say. And this right. goes back to one of the comments that we, we were discussing earlier, um, is... Uh, and I think even Kieran, we've still got some confusion over this, is whether the ground is in administration um, or whether it's still owned by Mel or whether it's even now been taken over by MSD because of the outstanding debt secured against it. 
Um, because certainly last um, when it first came out, they said um, the Derby County Ownership Group and all associated companies have been put in, or will be put into receivership. We haven't been yet, but we will uh, uh, into administration. Um, now, when the ground was sold to Mel and I asked him this specific question, he said, no, that hasn't triggered the ACV because it is still within the same ownership group. So he was adamant at the time it was all part of the same group. And that would therefore imply that when we went into administration or when we do go into administration, that would include the ground. But in today's interview, he seemed to indicate that wasn't the case. So I'm really confused now. Now, Jim, you'll be even more confused now because in one of those complicated uh, things that happened when we recorded an interview before we record the pod, but the pod goes out before the interview, you see what I mean? Um, I've spoken to Kira because I was really confused by the fact that the administration statement from the club specifically included all businesses associated with the club, all companies associated with the club. So, Kieran, perhaps you can answer that question briefly for Jim about where the ground stands in the receivership. Well, um, looking at the press release from the club and, and they they I think deliberately choose words which are vague and ambiguous. Um, it, it does refer to the club, the holding company and, and all the associated companies. So the holding company of Derby County Football Club is a company called Sevco 5112 Limited, which sold Pride Park to another company set up by Mel Morris called Geller Law. Uh, and uh, whether Geller Law is in administration or is going to be in administration, we're uncertain. Uh, it does appear that presumably that, that Geller Law will be the, the the company which owes money to MSD Holdings because otherwise, you know, what security does MSD Holdings? So you know, the simple answer is it's confusing. The noises I've heard from Derby is that the uh, the ground will not the, the stadium effectively will not be going into administration. But what MSD Holdings are going to do with regards to what's happening at the club, that uh, they will have a contract. That contract might say that if one of the tenants uh, of the of the stadium goes into administration, then that that could trigger another clause. So uh, the one thing we've not we're not getting at present is clarity. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's what I mean in terms of seeing what we hear from the administrator, because that makes a difference as to how attractive a proposition of the sale is. Because, um, yes, there's all those outstanding debts against the club. But if, in, in effect, the only asset you have is the name Derby County, you don't even have the stadium, yeah. then there are serious questions over who would be interested in that. Because even, and, and he's not a good example, but when Eric Alonso was trying to take over, what he was intending to do was to then mortgage the stadium and use those funds to help take the club forward. Now, clearly, that's not the best approach for the club, but it would keep some potential investors interested that uh, if you buy Derby County and it all goes tits up and you don't go, well, at least you've still got an asset at the end of it. Do you know what the irony is, Jim, that we spent a lot of time, Kieran and I, laughing at Eric Alonso, and with hindsight, perhaps that would have been the best thing that could have happened to the club. Look, Jim, <laughs> thank, thank you for talking to us. Um, Kieran and I support teams that have been through this. It's grim. It's, it's no no point denying it. It's your, your stomach will feel like it's got a cold lead weight in it for some weeks, but you will get through this. Derby County will get through this, and they'll come out of it. Uh, a bigger, better, stronger club. And we look forward to a time when we never have to mention Derby on the pod again 
essentially. <laughs> but in, in the meantime, Jim, we wish you and every Derby County fan listening uh, the very best and we hope for a successful outcome for you all. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, um, yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. Interesting, Kieran. It quite clearly this theme of surprise continues because it it, it it came out of the blue for him as well. Um, yes, I, I've got to be honest. I honestly thought, and, and this sounds this sounds so trite. I honestly thought that Mel Morris was better than this. I, I didn't think he ran the club particularly well, but if he loves the club as much as he he claims to, and and as Jim says, you know, he is independently wealthy. Uh, he has gone on record as saying that uh, it's costing between one to one point three million pounds a month to to run the club. Well, in in twenty, you know, in in the first few years of his reign, it was costing three or four million pounds a month to run the club. So that the losses appear to have been reduced on the back of um on on the back of covid so if he could afford it uh, 3 or 4 years ago why can't he afford it today when if if jim's viewpoint that mel is is successful and you know all of the evidence is he's a very very smart guy um it's not a case of uh can't pay it's it's one of won't pay and i think that's that's what's taken everybody aback i thought he would want his legacy at this club to be greater than that mm. I just got a hint of the Baroness's voice there when you said, when you said, I thought you were better than that. <laughs> I can just hear her saying that, basically. Um, and just in terms of our question to Jim about whether the trust is in a, a situation to put in a bid for the club, and quite clearly they're not. Football rules say that when a club goes into administration, in the, the, uh, any supporters trust have 28 days in which to table a bid. Is that right? Yes, that that's my that's my understanding. Now that there's no reason why the trust could not align themselves with a prospective bidder, right. um, and that could actually, you know, for all we know, that that could potentially accelerate uh, a deal. It's it's in everybody's best interests for this to be put to bed as quickly as possible because that reduces the number of jobs which are going to be lost. Yeah. That's going to allow Wayne Rooney and his staff to have greater certainty as to the resources they're going to be playing with for the rest of the season. And you know, the the fans, yeah, and we we know what it's like to be a football fan. Your football club is the first thing you think of every morning and it's the last thing you think of when you go to bed. And I know football football fans laugh at us for that, but that's where that's the way we are. And for Derby fans it's it's a period of Great distress. Um, yeah, it is. Well, let's Kieran. Let's lighten things up and cram in a couple of questions. As I, also, I don't want to disorient our listeners by having a news pod on questions day because yeah. I, I know how much their week revolves around us, Kieran. Don't you? <laughs> I like to think football fans. The first thing they think of, I like to think the pod fans. The first thing they think of in the morning is us. But um, the first question comes from Tom McCormick. And I picked this one deliberately because it's actually germane to our Derby discussion. And Tom says, we all know the risks associated with selling your stadium to a third party, me especially, having been born across the road from York City's Booth and Crescent, briefly known as Kit Kat Crescent. However, in certain... I know, it's Kit Kat Crescent, yeah. I know a bloke called Mark Kit Kat. It's a great name, isn't it? However, in in certain circumstances, says Tom, could it actually help safeguard a club? For example, could lifelong Derby fan Mel Morris argue 
that doing so protects it from potential asset strippers in future? Um, it, it it could do if if, uh, if there is some form of covenant put from the former owner which restricts the ability of new owners to either sell the stadium or to redevelop it half hotel, half football stadium or some of the... Um, so so it, it could be a positive thing. But of course, if that is the case, that when, when the original owners are selling the club, they are selling all of the club's assets at a price. Now, the the, the stadium clearly has significant value. So you, you might you could sell a club all in for sixty million, but if you're selling it without the stadium and you've got to pay rent on it, the new owners might say, "Well, hold on, you know, we, the stadium's the biggest thing, and we want to redevelop. We want to do this, that, and the other. We're only going to pay you thirty or forty million. So it it comes at a price to the original owner to uh, to give it to some form of protection, and you then have to keep faith in the original owner. And you know the words "Ron and Notes" immediately come to mind yeah. when when the you know it could be that you are taken in by the original owner and you find out that a person who you felt was honourable and could trust you can no longer do so. Yeah, Ron knows that was the argument he did use though. He retained the 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 freehold to prevent anybody Sainsbury's for example buying the ground, but it is, well, you know, we'll just don't sell it to them if that's your argument. Um, Dan Jones says that following on from your Oldham discussion last week, is there any reason why they and so many other clubs with severe financial troubles like Berry, Macclesfield and Bolton are based in the Northwest or is it just coincidence? Um, I think to a certain extent, these clubs are living in the shadows yeah. of, uh, yeah, we have four giant and I include Everton in that because yeah. for me, yeah. Everton are a giant club. And we've got four giant clubs in the Northwest and they get all of the attention. So, you know, if you are in Hartlepool, then you're the only club that people are going to go to watch. The trouble uh, in Bury is that some people will choose to go and watch United either at Old Trafford or they'll go down to the local, uh, you know, we, we all know somebody with a dodgy card and, uh, you know, we're not condoning any of that, but you know, there will be groups of Manchester United fans from Bury who will be gathering together. Uh, you know, and it could be that they that they've got you know three season tickets between ten of them and and things like that. So it, it does mean that the um, the other clubs are are scrapping for uh, relatively little money, and also as somebody that spent the majority of my life living in the northwest. Um, it, it is an area of of less wealth than than the south, so that is a contributory factor as well in terms of the club's ability to charge ticket prices, catering prices, hospitality prices, and so on. Um, yeah, we've we've got other clubs such as South End who are in deep financial trouble. Um, you know, we so it, it's not exclusive, and we also know that you know our clubs have had their financial problems historically uh, mm. as well. And, and you know, we're not based in the Northwest. But, yeah, it has it has been concentrated in the Northwest. But, yeah, when I when I look at each of those clubs in turn, uh, we had Berry, which was down to a rogue owner. Yeah. We had Bolton, which was due to a rogue owner in yeah. Ken Anderson. Um, if we had Macclesfield, you know, Macclesfield was down to their rogue owner. And Wigan 
was a guy that owned the club for a fortnight. Um, you know, I've told you off air. Uh, I know why he bought that club. You know why he buys that club. We can't say that, but that was a rogue owner as well. So it just so happened that it's more to do with the owners than the uh, ge- ge- geographical position of the clubs themselves. Yeah, and of course, for those clubs, um, especially in the Greater Manchester conurbation, uh, in in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, City and United weren't dominating football the way they have been in the past ten years. So it, there was more sense in going to see your local club play. There was, a, as we said last week, to um, our Oldham trust friend. Yeah, you know, there was a time in the early nineties when Oldham were competing with Man United and Man City at the top of the first division and, and in the Premier League. So that that hasn't helped, has it? That huge mega success in, in recent two decades for those clubs. Yes, you're absolutely right. And what we have seen is the rise of new owners who have come in to other clubs who have uh, who have funded them and allowed them to to grow. And you know, it just so happens that those owners haven't been the you know uh, Bolton did have Eddie Davis and, and Eddie then became ill and, and sadly passed away a few years ago. Well, you know, when he when he left Oldham, he, he so when he left Bolton, he wrote off 175 million quid, but there was nobody to take his place. Um, in terms of Berry, uh, SD1 Stuart Dale, sorry Stuart Day, uh, he had. Berry running at losses, but his business started to have problems, so he sold it to our mate Steve Dale, who who is an asset stripper. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it was just one of those things. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of subtle ways I can share that Wigan information about why he bought the club or obtained the club without producer guy having conniptions. Um, <laughs> I, I conniptions? Yeah, all I can all I can think of is um, there's a song in Les Mis. People can work it out from that. It's got two colours in it. Um, <laughs> Stuart Hatcher is a, a friend of the show and also a friend of yours, having taken you for posh lunch in Brentford. He's taking you ago. out next. He's taking when you when you play at play at Brentford, you, you're you're you'll be you'll be tasting the finest quinoa that uh, yeah, that I, Chiswick can supply. I'm, I'm at that stage in many potential engagements, Kieran where I politely say, yes, of course, that would be great. And then about six days beforehand, I'll start softening them up and saying, well, something's possibly coming up. Um, and then, cause he's, my, he's, 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 he's also our legal advisor on the show these days. Is he? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't he, he's, 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 he's my go-to man. For, as soon as we get legal questions, I'm straight off to our Stuart. Well, I don't think that means I'm legally obliged to go for lunch with him, does it? <laughs> no, no. Breaking the rules. Basically, if it comes down to saying to my mates, I'm sorry, lads, I'm going for quinoa before a Brentford game with some bloke who's giving us free legal advice. <laughs> I don't think that's going to go down particularly well, to be perfectly honest, much as we uh, welcome aboard, Stuart. Um, <laughs> I wondered why his questions kept getting in. Um, as Stuart says, uh, we regularly hear that football is unsustainable and only kept going due to the largesse of the super wealthy, uh, and almost every club is losing money. Is there any other industry out there with so many businesses losing money but still continuing, and with that amount of continued investment from owners, banks, etc.? And, says Stuart, am I right in thinking that this may be the first time the word largesse 
has been used on the pod. Damn straight it is. I had to explain it to producer Guy, first of all. <laughs> Twice. I had to explain to him what I and he still can't get the concept of being generous with money. <laughs> Blank out there. Um, but it's a, good, it's a good question, Kieran, isn't it? And it's one we've not really dealt with. Are, are we the only, is football the only industry that allows this amount of business, businesses within it to continue at such an unsustainable level? Um, no, because the football industry, in respect of money, many owners, is what we would refer to as a trophy asset. So if you take a look at Formula One teams, they all lose money, or practically all lose money. Right, if you okay. take a look at somebody involved in horse racing, if you take a look at the America's Cup, I'm just yeah. thinking about your industry, many theatres, they lose money, but they carry on. Yes, that's true. So uh, it's not unique to football. I think it is unique to the service sector and a certain and a part, I'd say, a subsection of the service sector, which is broadly linked to the arts and entertainment. You know, picture galleries lose money, uh, you know, and so on. Uh, but uh, you know, football is not the only one. Uh, but I. But the trouble is, is when it's losing too much money, we end up with the position, you know, of, of the conversation that we've had for most of the last hour. Mm. The the horse racing one's quite interesting because Claire Balding always says, if you come into some money, don't don't buy a horse, and if you do, buy a horse at the lower end where yeah. it, can, it can trot around Lingfield, and you won't mind so much if it loses. But once you start trying to compete with the big owners and win the big races, you've got no chance. It will just bankrupt you essentially our last question kieran is from nigel swimbank and it takes us on a long uh, and scenic journey uh, but i think it's worth it for the view i think it's worth it kieran for the view at the end (laughs) feel free to disappear for a couple of minutes kieran you might find it easier Um, (laughs) nigel says i'm a big fan and have listened to pretty much every pod thoroughly enjoyable i commend you all thank you nigel seems like a nice chap but oh oh there's a but Nigel says, you took me by surprise when you mentioned the Wigan administrator recently who wanted a statue of himself outside the ground and his background with the Arthur Anderson accountancy practice. Kieran referred to playing football against them in the Manchester Accountants League, saying they were the most hated team in the league. Now, says Nigel, I was one of the founders of that team and played in it for the best part of a decade. Ooh, awkward. (laughs) And he said, are we talking about the same league? Played on Huff End, just off the Princess Parkway yeah, in Wally yeah, Lane. Yep, it's there. <laughs> Turned into a Smith song just then, didn't it? <laughs> the play on Princess Parkway in Wally Range. Um, <laughs> uh, if so, <laughs> says Nigel, it's funny to hear how much we were hated. Who did Kieran play for? And can I point out, and this bit is in block capital. <laughs> yes. <laughs> none of us were accountants. Nor were we from Arthur Anderson Accounting. We were from Anderson Consulting. We were all management consultants and therefore a superior league of arrogant wanker altogether. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say, said Nigel, (laughs) that our Manchester firm will be visiting Brighton mob-handed anytime soon. But as a minimum, we need to correct the embarrassing idea that we were accountants. I believe, oh. Guy, I believe, I believe Guy Ritchie's bought the film rights to that question, Kieran. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, well, thank you very much, Nigel. First of all, for the kind words, kind words about the, the podcast. Um, you, you, your team were the most hated uh, <laughs> of, of all, all of the teams in the Manchester Accountants League. 
mainly mainly due to the fact that you all turned up in Ford Ford Escort XR3Is, which you know, in in the early eighties was the the epitome of being a wanker as far as the rest of the world was concerned. Um, so yeah, I, I played for a team called uh, Grant Thornton, and uh, you know most of us were were, were trainee accountants. But whenever we played Arthur Anderson, uh, we had a few mates from uh, a place in Manchester called Burnage. Now, Burnage is quite famous for the Gallagher brothers. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I think it's fair to say uh, Burnage is a, uh, uh, it's a fantastic part of Manchester. Uh, it, I've had some of the greatest kebabs in my life there. Um, it's also um, the, robust. Lads, the la- robust. Yes, robust. The, lads, the lads in Burnage could, uh, could look after themselves. And uh, we had a couple of them playing for us on a regular basis. And when it was Anderson's, uh, three of all of us would say, uh, oh, God, got a bit of a tight hamstring this, this week, manager. Uh, can you go and get, uh, can you get Chris and Ian to uh, bring a few more of their mates? And then we would come along and watch them uh, kick uh, Arthur Anderson's uh, uh, as far as they could off the pitch. Dear oh Lord, who, who knew what murky undertones lurked beneath <laughs> the Manchester Accountants League? In hot end of the Princess Parkway, <laughs> uh, I just I just love the image of Nigel uh, as a probably senior management consultant now. Yes, no doubt. Just enjoying himself on a Monday morning, putting his feet up before shouting at someone in the office, listening to the pod, and just going, "Hang on a second, what? Most hated, we weren't accountants, exactly." <laughs> um, Thank you, Kieran. Um, you've enlightened me on the Derby situation. Unfortunately, it's not going to be the last time we speak about it. But as we know, with with Wigan and with Swindon, there is a way out of this, Kieran. Yes. And hopefully, we'll, we will have a pod with Derby fans, as we have done with with Wigan and Swindon fans, celebrating the outcome. Uh, in the meantime, thank you all for listening. Thank you in particular to those who have recently become uh, members of our Patreon group and have contributed money to us, including Thomas Fleming, Bob Fairbrother, Evan Boyle, Everton Dixie, David Olson, Sid Lambert, David Swain and Mark Goodchild. If you would like to join them by making a small monthly donation to our always free to AirPod, then please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. If you have any questions, for our questions pod and we will have some of the questions we were due to ask today we will hold over because they were very good we'll ask them next time but if you have questions for us on Derby County or anything else then please email questions at priceoffootball.com and in the meantime I shall hand you over to the legendary hard man of the Manchester Accountants League Kieran <laughs> Maguire for his customary farewell uh, well once again folks thank you very much for uh, your support of the show um, I- I'm not going to ask for anything this time around, I'm not going to ask for any good karma because all of the good karma we want to go to Derby County to yeah. to see that club survive and thrive. Uh, it's one of my favourite uh, cities, as far as I'm concerned, for an away trip. Uh, I, I, I remember going to the baseball ground uh, way back in the early '80s, and it was always uh, it was a great day out then. It's a great day out now, and I want it to be a great day out in the future as well. Well said. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football.
that provides some photo ball. <laughs>